Hello and welcome to Retrospecticus, a Simpsons and History podcast. You're listening to the Flag Special. Hey, hey, listeners! I'm Gareth Hirons. And I'm Tom Williamson. And welcome to Retrospecticus, the Simpsons and modern history together at last. In each edition, We'll usually discuss an episode of The Simpsons and a major historical happening from the time the episode first aired in the US. You'd go where we went. Hoist what we hoisted. Salute what we saluted. Uh, But you won't this time because it's a very special episode. However, if you'd still like to give us the Spanish exposition, you can tweet us at underscore retrospecticus. Don't forget the underscore because we certainly can't. Or send us an eel to podcast at retrospecticus.org. Excellent. So, Tom, it's been a while since we recorded. Have you um, sorted everything out? Um, I haven't sorted out my house, unfortunately, although we are sort of on the runway at the moment. Had issues with some uh, architectural things which have now been sorted out, which I won't bore people with. Um, so, yeah. I, I mean, I know when a show says we're, in, we're on hiatus, that usually means you never hear from them again. But not in this case. We are just taking a genuine break while we sort some stuff out. So Gareth, what have you been up to? I appeared on my uh, good friend Ben Baker's podcast, uh, the Ben Baker Quiz Explosion, which is available on all good podcast engines, literally all of them as far as I can work out. A very good distribution service there. Um, ben, just to set the scene, is a, uh, an expert podcaster and an expert quiz master. Uh, and the Quiz Explosion is a, a series of themed quizzes which you can play along with at home. Uh, I'm going to be on a section called uh, Ludicrously Niche Mastermind. Uh, and all I'll say is I'm doing a Simpsons-related subject. Okay. Do I do well? Do I do badly? We all have to tune in to find out. That's the Ben Baker Quiz Explosion, available on all good podcast engines. And it's ace and skill, and you should listen to it. You've had your holiday. Absolutely. I am, I am back from Texas, unshot. And I have now uh, experienced Thanksgiving firsthand. And I was not versus it, unlike Bart Simpson. Ah, okay. Okay. So, what is this show all about? Well, this show is all about flags. Yeah. So we we had a little think about the show, uh, and we're just on the cusp of season two, and starting that just before Christmas, and then disappearing off for the festivities at an awkward juncture, leaving Mm. everyone hanging. I mean, that that doesn't seem very fair of us, does it? No, not at all, not at all. And because this is going to be the only show we're putting out in December, I suppose you could kind of call it a Christmas show if you want ho 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 yeah yeah I'll put some sleigh bells over the exit music it'll be fine yeah yeah excellent so uh, we're going to be looking at one of your other areas of expertise Mm -hmm. aside from history uh, which means I have a simple question for you Tom Mm -hmm. how did you get into flags. Okay, I got into flags, or vexillology, the study of flags, to give it its fancy name. I'd never managed to pronounce that, so thank you very much. <laughs> um, I, got it in, I got into it through my grandfather, actually. Um, whenever I went to his house when I was a kid, he's ha- he'd have little flags everywhere. And after he died, my grand said, oh, you can have flags if you want. I know you like them. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. So they're there in my, ha- in my house now. And it was only... After I got them, that I realised what their significance was, because he had, you know, quite a lot of standard flags: British flag, American flag, Australian flag, all that sort of thing. 
But then he had quite a strange one, uh, well not a strange one, quite an obscure one, which is a flag of Curacao, which is, um, I believe it's a Dutch island in the Caribbean where the uh, where the, the cure Curacao comes from, as, oh, in, as in Bowls Blue, the blue stuff. I was going to ask you about that. Mm. Uh, the, a key ingredient of a blue lagoon. Yes, absolutely. So I asked my gran, did you ever go on holiday to Curacao? And she went, oh, yes, we did. Yeah, yeah, lovely holiday that was. And that's when it tweaked that they were all flags of places that he'd been to. Ah. So I now keep up that tradition on my desk at work. I've got a flag of every country or region or whatever flag I can get my hands on, really, of places I've been to. And, they, you know, they make great decorations. So, yeah, that's that's how I got into flags. Excellent. OK. Um, and, you know, it, it, what is it that you like about flags as a thing? Obviously, we know how you got into them, but what's kept them as an enduring interest of yours? Mm. It's because they tell stories. Each flag tells a story. There's no flag in the history that I can think of where someone's gone... Oh, right, we need a flag for something. Okay, bit of red, bit of green, bit of blue. There you are, stick it on a flagpole. There we are, that's our flag, that's done. They, 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 all, they all mean something. And when you look into what that meaning is, you go, oh, that's why that flag's like that. Oh, it's because of that. And, you know, things, un things unravel and you can get a real... You can usually get some sort of understanding of the country by working out what its flag means what it's supposed to represent so for example in one of our episodes of series one we talked about the baltic states and how the baltic countries ended up leaving the soviet union and they started flying their national flags again and we also talked about panama i made my gaffe about what the flag of panama means or what it doesn't mean you know we're only a couple of wikipedia edits away from making you right on that one Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. we should do that and see if anyone notices. There, 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 there is almost certainly some keen Panamanian vexillologist who's just got his eyes nailed on that page. So that's not going to change. So you might be thinking, what does all of this have to do with The Simpsons? <laughs> and you're right to think that. It doesn't really have that much to do with The yeah. Simpsons. However, there are flags in The Simpsons... And they do relate to the flags that uh, Tom and I will be discussing. Absolutely. So you can count on me to chip in with a factoid whenever <laughs> we come across one. Yep, yep. So, Tom, which of uh, the world's flags would you like to discuss first? Well, seeing as The Simpsons is an American show, I think we should start with the American flag, the good old Stars and Stripes. Okay. Okay, so the most famous appearance of the American flag in The Simpsons that I can think of is in Lisa the Iconoclast when they examine the history of Jebediah Springfield, their, their town's founder. And it's revealed that George Washington was attacked by Jebediah Springfield while under his former identity of Hans Sprungfeld, the murderous pirate. So after this fight, George Washington is presented with a flag by a woman who says, oh, I found the white stars you wanted, but I couldn't find any red hearts, yellow moons or green clovers. To which Washington replies, well, I'll use it, but I'm not paying for it. And the woman in question is Betsy Ross, who, according to legend, designed the first flag of the USA. Betsy Ross, I do know that name. Mm, mm. It's because that name and her story is firmly ingrained into the American psyche. So in it, Ross makes the first American flag, comprising of 
13 stripes and a circle of 13 stars on a blue field in the canton, which is flag top, top left, mm-hmm. or Count Hahn, as Americans say. Uh, she presents it to George Washington, explaining that she's replaced his preferred six-pointed stars with five-pointed ones, as they are easier to make. And George Washington accepts this. But nowadays, many consider the story to be a bit of an urban legend that was made popular by Ross's grandson during the celebration of the USA's centennial. Yeah, because what they were looking for were sort of great American stories. And that story was one which, um, which, which women were supposed to be able to identify with, you know, back, back in a sort of chauvinistic, very traditional roles. All the men were fighting in the Revolutionary War, you know, beating the asses of the British. And that story is one that dainty little women were supposed to relate to, because essentially it's a story about sewing. Oh, bless them. Mm, yep, absolutely. Good but, Lord. Well, we've come a long way in several hundred years. We have. We have. <laughs> we wish. Um, however, hers is not the only story in American vexillological history, and certainly not the only. Uh, she's certainly not the only woman to have a flag story behind her. So the first flag of the USA was adopted in 1775 at the start of the Revolutionary War. It consisted of 13 stripes for the original 13 colonies, with a British Union Jack in the canton. Ah, yeah. So the design is attributed to Rebecca Young, and it's known as the Grand Union flag, also known as the Continental Colours. And funnily enough, a flag that contained the flag of a colonial power wasn't that popular, so it was replaced in 1775 by the aforementioned Betsy Ross flag. In 1795, two new stars and two new stripes were added when Vermont and Kentucky were admitted to the Union. This 15-star, 15-stripe flag was known as the Star-Spangled Banner. Ah, I see. So only that particular version is the Star-Spangled Banner. That's right, that's right. So whenever anyone calls the modern-day American flag the Star-Spangled Banner, they're technically wrong, which is the worst kind of wrong. Now, apologies if I'm jumping ahead here, but it seems like the intention was to keep the same amount of stars and stripes as states in the Union. Mm. I'm guessing that comes uh, undone very soon after this. Otherwise, we'd have a pinstripe flag at this stage. We would. We would. Which would look pretty natty, actually. I do like Uh, pinstripes. Yeah. 1795, they've got this Star-Spangled Banner flag. Now, shortly after that uh, came the Napoleonic Wars. And Britain wanted to cut off trade to France, so they blockaded American ports. And this led to the imaginatively titled War of 1812... Which lasted until 1815. Right. And during this war, a large flag was ordered for Fort McHenry. It was made and supplied by Mary Young Pickersgill, who was the daughter of Rebecca Young. And during the Battle of Baltimore, British ships bombarded Fort McHenry. The poet Francis Scott Kay wrote a poem about the attack, noting that despite the bombardment, the flag survived. And this poem, The Defence of Fort Muhinri, would inspire the song, The Star-Spangled Banner, which, of course, eventually became the American National Anthem. So, so I, I, I really quite like that as, uh, as a connection. Um, you've got the woman who made the first actual American flag, the Grand Union flag, and then her daughter making the actual flag, 
that would inspire the national anthem. Yeah. So there you go. There's some there's some American flag facts. Excellent. Yes, that I, iconic flag. Six white stripes, seven red stripes, and a hell of a lot of stars. <laughs> as is shouted, I think, by Nelson during Season 3, Episode 2, Mr. Lisa Goes to Washington. But there's been a couple of times where The Simpsons has deliberately displayed an out-of-date version of the Stars and Stripes. Ooh. So, in Season 6, Episode 9, Homer Badman, Grandpa hangs a flag with 49 stars. Yeah. As he'll be deep in the cold, cold ground before he recognises Missouri. The th- <laughs> I love that scene. But the thing that always strikes me about it is how fast Marge counts for stars. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> hangs it there's only 49 what is she the robot from short circuit <laughs> it might have helped her with a gambling you never know um, so. there's also uh, in season 7 episode 23 much a poo about nothing Homer has in his possession the flag which disappeared from the public library the previous year and explains that the 13 stripes are there for good luck as we all know before asking Arpu why the flag has precisely 47 stars Arpu replies that the flag is ridiculously out of date and that the library must have purchased it during the brief period in 1912 after New Mexico became a state, but before Arizona did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, are we up to 51 stars now? No, not quite. Um, there, there are debates about whether Puerto Rico should become a state and whether the District of Columbia should become a state. Right, Cause okay. Because it, it isn't. It's a federal territory or something weird like that. I, I, I tried to understand it once, but then I got bored. <laughs> it's, it's just very bureaucratic and weird. I don't necessarily blame you. Oh, and before I move on, just in a gratuitous food reference, of course, the reference to the Red Hearts, Yellow Moons and Green Clovers is a reference to the cereal Lucky Charms. Oh, is it now? Which is an American uh, okay. an American staple. Those are the those plus orange stars, rather than white stars, are the marshmallows that you get mm. in Lucky Charms. An American staple, but one that only made it to these shores in the early 90s, late 80s, I think. Mm. It certainly wasn't a childhood cereal mm. for me. Oddly enough, I had a look at it in the in the American bit of of the supermarket Sainsbury's. Mm. And it's like five pounds a box, so it's like more than twice the price <laughs> of most cereals. But what really made me laugh is um, because of EU rules, certain things have to be made very clear. And Lucky Charms have got tartrazine in them. Oh, that bright yellow colour. So they have to stick on um, this food additive may cause behavioural problems in children. Is that the same thing as Sunset Yellow? One of your sort of E one hundred numbers, or um, it's similar. It might be the same thing. Um, I, I, I've, I've got a biochemist background so i've got no problem calling it tartrazine but if someone wants to call it sunset yellow then then that's fine and it's not the only chemical in lucky charms that's got that number but then again the united states is the world center for food hygiene as we as we all know so uh, yeah no red tide poisoning there mm-hmm. um there is also an american flag in season six episode 16 bart versus australia Mm. Uh, when they're on, in American territory, not only is there a Stars and Stripes on the, I can't remember if it's referred to by name, but the machine on the lavatory that uh, stops the Coriolis effect, which isn't the Coriolis no, yeah, effect, which isn't as, we, uh, as we later found out. Um, but also, a flag being eaten by two Marines as part oh. of a uh, ceremonial uh, discharge of responsibilities. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that bit. So so they're, they're abandoning the embassy. They take the flag down in a, in, a, in a very swift but very organised way. They they fold it up very neatly and precisely, and then, yeah, two Marines face each other and 
<laughs> and march and eat it at the same time. Is that something to do with um, sort of funerals with honour? Isn't there a certain way that the flag's folded before it's placed on the coffin? Um, yes, that is that is more broadly that joke a reference to the United States flag code. Oh, okay. So there's a whole range of rules about how you're meant to display the flag, and it, it and it says really quite specific things. Like if someone is standing at a lectern, then the flag should be placed above them and behind them. So it says you know don't have it hanging off the front of the lectern. Or, or anything like that. Okay. And it says uh, you can't pick anything up with the flag, so you couldn't make the flag into like a little bindle or anything like that. But uh, section 8D is pretty interesting for me. It states that the flag should never be used as wearing apparel, bedding, or drapery. So if you see like a country and western singer or something like that, and you, you, you know their hat is made into the American flag and their suit is and all that sort of thing, um, then, then, you know, that's going against the flag code and it's not very patriotic. My understanding of American law is, is, is that the flag code exists and there are laws, but it's not enforceable. Okay. So everything it says, you can't be officially picked up for it. And there's a bit of the flag code that talks about respect of the flag and what you're supposed to do with it. And, of course, uh, people started um, burning the flag in protest at things like the Vietnam War. Yes. And I think that went to trial. I think that might have even gone to the Supreme Court and they decided that the right to free speech came before the flag code. Mm. So it is perfectly legal to burn the American flag. And in fact, part of the flag code even says that um, a preferred way of disposing of used and damaged flags is by burning. Okay. So it's fine to burn the American flag as long as it's old. Yeah. There's a lot of flag burners who've got too much freedom. Yeah. I want to make it legal for policemen to beat them. Yeah. Uh, also yeah. reminds me of uh, Simpsons Tangential, but uh, obviously related, uh, when Dr. John Zoidberg eats the Earthican flag uh, in A Taste of Freedom in Futurama. Oh, uh, yeah. The Earthican flag being essentially a Stars and Stripes, mm. uh, except with a picture of the Earth instead of the stars up in the, what did you call the upper left-hand corner again? The Canton. The Canton. The Canton. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. As, as, as in regions of Switzerland. Oh, yes. They have cantons. Yes, so they are. So they are. Um, while we're uh, close to Bart versus Australia, can't really go any further without talking about the flag of Australia. <laughs> um, so it will not surprise you to learn that the flag of Australia, uh, which is a defaced blue ensign, though sometimes a red one, long story, mm -hmm. with yeah, a Commonwealth yeah. star and a representation of the Southern Cross constellation. Yes, I've done my research on an actual flag yeah. here. A good pronunciation of the word ensign. I didn't realise there was a second way of pronouncing that, so there we go. Well, some people say ensign, but that's wrong. Ah, okay. So at least I've got it right, so yeah. there we go. So, a defaced blue ensign. Very good. Um, it appears in Season 6, Episode 16, Bar vs. Australia. In this version, it features a large brown boot kicking a naked yellow posterior <laughs> with five stars surrounding said posterior. It depicts the Australian penal tradition of the booting, which I'm told is fictional. Mm. And if we have any Australian listeners, and it is a possibility, as there are a few really good Australian Simpsons podcasts out there. Firstly, g'day. <laughs> and nice. secondly, 
Should you be offended by the depiction of Australia in the episode I just mentioned, you really ought to check out Season 15, Episode 4, The Regina Monologues, as we got it at least as badly. Oh yeah, yeah. But then again, Australia is a rich country full of white people. They can take a joke, surely. No offence, mate. <laughs> uh, let's try not to alienate any more nations as we go through this. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, we've got to strike trade deals with Australia, haven't we? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got to stop exporting to countries next door and export to countries on the other side of the world. Yeah. Because that's how international trade works. So, here's our, uh, here's our uh, segue to the next section. The uh, Australian flag's canton features a Union Jack. And there is a union of a British person and an American person depicted in Season 6, Episode 19, Lisa's Wedding. Mm, absolutely. It's a semi-canonical jump into the future. Uh, I say that to the extent that it doesn't necessarily contradict anything in the canonical Simpsons future yet. Mm. It's one of my favourite episodes, Lisa's Wedding, because of the sort of semi-dystopian view they've got of the future. I love little things like the um, like uh, the hands of Big Ben have been replaced by a digital clock. Yeah. I, th- I think probably, probably my favourite bit in that is when it's revealed that Mayor Quimby has now um, taken a job as a taxi driver and has assumed the identity Mohammed Jafar, I think. <laughs> I think that's great. I like all the exploding robots, but that, that's, that's oh, me and future that's, stuff all over. That's, but, but, but the thing is, that sort of dark, surreal thing has got the writing of John Schwartzwelder written all over it. Of, uh, but yes, the flag of the UK does feature fairly prominently in one scene. Uh, yes, Homer raises a British flag. Just before I go any further, Union flag or Union Jack? According to the Flag Institute, you can say either. Okay. You can, you can you can say either because it's one of those things that has sort of gone on for so long in traditional usage. If you said, "Oh, nice Union Jack over there," no one's going to go. Mmm, what do you mean? Oh right, okay. I, do you know what? I'm pretty sure there are some people that would as well, but um, and they'd be wrong. Exactly, exactly. So yes, uh, Homer raises a Union Jack in his honour, uh, which is promptly burned by a bug zapper and doused in compost. <laughs> Much like the writers did to the entire country of Britain in season 15, episode 4, the Regina monologues. Mmm. Nice. But, moving away from Springfield and into the real world... Yeah. Well, before we continue, I just want to say that Hugh's reaction to that, um, tears welling up in his eyes, seeing his beloved Union Jack on fire... We don't care about physical <laughs> flags that much in this country. The Union Jack does not represent all of our values. It's just our national flag. No. It's quite a pretty one, but it's not something that we would um, lose any sleep over if one was to be caught on fire. So, yes, the Union Jack, or flag, if you prefer, it's an amalgamation of three flags. It's three flags in one. So there's the Cross of St. George to represent England. So according to legend... I think you've mispronounced that, by the way. Isn't it England? England? Uh, well, if the football's on, yeah. Yeah, you need to add an extra syllable. So according to legend, St George was a Roman soldier who killed a dragon, and he was a Christian, and he was killed for his beliefs. So he's a martyr as well, essentially. Around a thousand years after he died, King Edward III made George England's patron saint in 1327, when he ascended to the throne. 
So St George is seen by the English as a hero to look up to, rather than a representative of the region. I mean, plenty of other places have done this, so he's also the patron saint of Barcelona. You might have seen the St George's Cross on on the crest of the Barcelona Football yes, Club. Yes, yes. And that's why. I didn't know that's where that came from. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with England. It's just St George's patron saint of Barcelona. Also, Sardinia and Genoa both have St George's crosses on their flags. So he's the patron saint of those places too. And the country Georgia, former Soviet state, is named after him. And Georgia's flag has five crosses on it. After they had that Rose Revolution a few years ago, they changed from their really quite boring old burgundy flag. I, I, I really don't know what they were thinking of. It was burgundy flag with a square in the canton and half the square was white, half the square was black. Just looked really weird and hmm. almost cute, almost um, almost minimalist, that flag. I was going to say, not, not a lot going on there. No, no. So he changed it, which was the St George's Cross, with um, four crosses in each of the corners. It looks a lot better, in in my opinion. So, so, so that's how England's ended up with the Cross of St George. And Scotland's flag is a white saltire on a blue field. So Scotland's patron saint is St Andrew, a disciple of Jesus who was killed on an X-shaped cross. Okay. Um, I think the story there is whoever killed him knew how Jesus was killed and wanted to humiliate him by killing him the way that Jesus was killed, only a bit weirder. <coughs> so he was given a sort of different shaped cross. Okay. I think that's what's going on there. I'm I'm told by friends that uh, in bondage circles, um, the crucifixes do tend to be X-shaped rather than uh, cross-shaped. Right. I can only imagine this is a matter of practicality, because if you think about weight distribution, there's actually yeah. two points on which one of those would stand as opposed to just the one. Okay. I think it'd be a lot easier to put yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, you'd need quite a high ceiling for a, for a T-shaped cross. As yeah, well, yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's the practicalities of bondage out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, there are two legends around why St Andrew is the patron saint of Scotland. The first is that during the 9th century, the Scottish king Anigus II was victorious in battle after St Andrew's cross appeared above the battlefield. So a cloud, basically. Right. From, from that day forth. They went, oh, right, well, this is our symbol now. So this is, you know, this shows that God is on our side and whatever else. And the second is that after St. Andrew was killed, his followers were told to take his bones to the ends of the earth. To some people in the ancient world, the ends of the earth meant Scotland. And to others, it was Russia. In fact, an earlier flag of Russia was pretty much the flag of Scotland with the colours reversed. So it's a blue saltier on a white field. Oh, okay. And that flag is still the ensign of the Russian Navy. And St Andrew's a patron saint of Russia. So there you go. You've got two completely different legends explaining the same thing. You've got to love it when that happens. In 1603, Queen Elizabeth I of England died, leaving no heirs. Plans were made for King James VI of Scotland to become king of both countries, unifying the crowns. From 1606, a new flag, a combination of the flags of England and Scotland, was designed. It simply puts the Red Cross 
over the white salt here on a blue background. However, in some parts of Scotland, an alternative design with the salt here on top of the cross was used, which is a fair observation to make. It's the King of Scotland becoming the King of England, so the, so the flag of Scotland should be on Makes the sense. So, so just so I can picture this properly, yeah, it's like the, the, the red cross is being crossed out by a white cross. Yeah, pretty much, pretty okay. much. Okay, okay. That sounds pretty, pretty funky, I get with that. Mm. But that did not give us the Union Jack we have today. In 1801, England and Scotland were officially united with Ireland. The Cross of St. Patrick, which is a red salt here on a white field, was added to the Union Jack. And incidentally, as this happened after the United States Declaration of Independence, the Cross of St. Patrick does not appear in the Grand Union flag. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's a bit of a contentious issue, the whole Cross of St. Patrick. Because if you think about it, it's basically a St. George's Cross, only rotated a little bit. Yeah. And it's not massively popular as a, as a symbol of Ireland. No, I was going to say, I've, I've not really heard that being used as such. No, no. Um, obviously, it's been massively superseded by the Irish Tricolor. Yes. Which is, which is one of my favourite flags. Because it obeys, it obeys all the laws of good flag design. So it's simple, it's three colours, anyone can make one. And what the colours mean is really simple. So you've got green for Catholics, orange for Protestants, and white for peace between them. You know, it's pretty much, it's pretty much a perfect flag design. Yeah, flag that works design. for me. Now, without wishing to dabble in controversy, <laughs> how exactly does Wales fit into this? Well, Wales doesn't, because um, the sad hard fact is that Wales is a principality of England. So it's not considered important enough for its flags to be incorporated into the Union Jack. I see. And Wales has got more than one flag as well. The, the one everyone knows is the uh, flag with the dragon on it, uh, whose name I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's called something in Welsh. So it's a red dragon on a field which is white at the top and green at the bottom, which I think is the colours of the Tudors. Might be wrong there. But there also exists a St. David's flag, which is a yellow cross on a black field. And you can see that in various uh, Welsh clubs. I think um, either Cardiff City or Swansea City used to have it on their club crest. Right, OK. It would make sense, given the construction of the Union Jack to date, taking the, the patron saints flag designs, that that, if anything was going to be incorporated, would be the one that was incorporated. Mm. The problem with incorporating it from a design point of view is that you're adding two more colours. Uh, you're adding black and yellow. So then you'd have a flag which is black, yellow, white, red, blue. That's five colours. That's, that's a lot to fit into one flag. Mm. Yeah, I don't really have a way around that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, I, I really don't. Anyway, that's enough about Wales. Back to the uh, the Simpsons. So that's two countries we've alienated in this, uh, <laughs> this special. So that's yep. Australia and Wales. Mm -hmm. um, fantastic. I want to talk for a second about the flag of the city of Springfield. Um, I actually want to ask you a question, mm. which is, is it usual for a city to have a flag? Because it doesn't feel very usual to me. Ah, I, know, I, know, I know where you're going with this. Um, some cities do have flags. Uh, some cities have very, very good flags. Amsterdam has a very good flag. Um, you've just been to the States, and I know it's nowhere near Texas, but Chicago has a very memorable 
has a very memorable flag. Um, it's it, it's it's not generally common practice for cities to have flags. And usually if a city does have a flag, it's usually not very good because the people who design it don't know what they're doing. Classic example is the city of San Francisco, which has got an absolutely atrocious flag. And the only time I've seen it is at a, is at a San Francisco Giants baseball game. Um, but apart from that, they don't fly it because it's not, because it's not particularly attractive. L Liverpool certainly should have a flag. Um, I've, been, I've been trying to campaign to, uh, to get a flag for Liverpool for for about three or four years now but uh it's it's uh it's 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 kind of hard to get that to get that past the council but if you want to check out the campaign it's flagforliverpool.net there's some good designs there i've, I've checked them out myself mm. so uh so yeah uh check out flagforliverpool.net if you think the city of liverpool should have a flag and write to people write to councillors mps tell them about it because one of the problems we're having it's actually harder it, it, it's 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 this weird proportional problem. The larger a place is, the harder it is to get a flag for it. Because there are a handful of villages in the UK which have very nice flags because they just happen to have a vexillologist uh, living there. They, they design a nice flag and they just go to the parish council, which is like 10 or 12 people, and say, I've made a flag, what do you reckon? And they go... Well, yeah, we've got nothing else to talk about tonight, so yeah, let, let, let's have a flag. <laughs> whereas, whereas a city like Liverpool, you know, it's a big football city, so so yeah, the Liverpool fans want it to be red, the Everton fans want it to be blue, um, and yeah, tr tr trying to get anyone to agree on anything is a lot, lot harder than if you're just trying to impress ten or twelve people. But you know, with time, we will get there. Hopefully, and definitely check that out. Definitely check that out. I hope whatever we get is not as bad as the flag of the city of Springfield. Um, mm. To be fair, it's, it, I actually quite like the design. It's just a little bit busy, as we're about to hear. Mm -hmm. So uh, where do we see this? Well, it's in Season 15, Episode 8. Deep breath. Marge versus singles, seniors, childless couples, and teens and gays. Okay. Just... Don't think I've seen that one. Long story. Long story. Um, the flag of the city of Springfield is shown being torn in half... By a gentleman from Springfield's sister city of Kabul, Afghanistan, who have disowned Springfield after a riot at a concert aimed at toddlers because those are definitely all things that are plausible. <sighs> right. Anyway, the flag itself is royal blue with the words City of Springfield in white at the top. And I'm going to pause here to ask another flag question. Is text on a flag a no-no? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Don't, don't put text on flags. Because yeah. no one's going to read it. That's, I mean, that, that was basically the opinion on the internet, but I wanted to check with the, uh, the best vexologist I knew. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's one of those... There's, there's several design rules to what, does and make, to what does and doesn't make a good flag. And I've had an idea of sort of formalising them and making them, into a, and making them into a score. I need to get that down on paper somewhere. Because I reckon flag nodes would absolutely love it. But yeah, d don't have any text, don't have any pictures, don't have a white background. It, 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 it's a little bit like there's 10 do's and 500 don'ts of good flag design. <laughs> don't do what Donny Don't does. Exactly, exactly. Uh, we should probably get back to this flag, I suppose. Yes. So it's a uh, yeah, royal blue, 
city of Springfield, uh, and the coat of arms of Springfield in the centre, which I think, and I, I haven't actually managed to verify this, so I don't even know why I'm saying it, but I think uh, it's also seen on Mayor Quimby's podium at various times. Okay. But the coat of arms is a quartered shield. On the flag, it's got um, red and cyan quarters to uh, pick it out. Um, and the four quarters have got a star, a lemon, which obviously makes sense. Yeah. A beaver, or what I believe is a beaver, and what appears to be the symbol for radioactivity, which of course mm-hmm. also makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, one in each segment, with golden branches on either side and above said shield. So there we go. So I'm a, I'm a fan of the coat of arms, not yeah. so much of a fan of the flag. But while we're talking of regional flags, there's also the flag of the state that Springfield is in, mm-hmm. which is what the state that Springfield is in is referred to uh, officially in the series, because they're never going to tell us because it isn't in the state. Exactly. That's my theory anyway. It was never planned to be anywhere. There was never a big reveal. They're not playing with us. It's just kind of... It wasn't ever meant to be in a real place. So it, it, why put it in a real place? It's just for good it's just good for jokes like Springfield. Oh hi Amond <laughs> Which is my favourite near reveal actually. Um <laughs> but yeah, so th- unfortunately there's a bit of a continuity issue with the flag of the state that Springfield is in. Um season two, episode four, two cars in every garage. Sorry, I pronounced that wrong. Season two, episode four, two cars in every car hole and three eyes on every fish. <laughs> Shows Mr. Burns in front of a flag that purports to be the state flag during his attempt at the gubernatorial race. Now, that flag has got horizontal bands, and top to bottom, they are green, white, and orange, respectively. Mm. There's a blue star in the centre, and the state motto, not just another state, (laughs) in black print on the bottom band. Um, But that gets retconned in season 14, episode 3, Bart versus Lisa versus the third grade. So that episode actually revolves around the redesigning of the state flag because it's shown to contain a Confederate flag yeah. rising out of the sea with rays of sunshine behind it, which is particularly embarrassing for the Springfieldians as they are in a northern state, Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So n- narrowing it down, <laughs> which, which, which does narrow it down quite a lot. So, so Springfield would have been a state during the American Civil War, so it's not out west, it's not like... California or Oregon or Montana or anywhere like that. And it's in the north. Yeah. So, yeah, but that narrows it down a little bit. So uh, Lisa wins the chance to redesign that flag, and not a moment too soon. Uh, And she produces a flag with a thin red border depicting two people holding hands in front of a yellow sun with rays behind it in a blue sky. Mm. There's a white horizontal bar at the bottom containing the text, To Fraternal Love. In black type. However, Bart then vandalises the flag, so that when it is revealed to the governor, the sun has been redesigned as a colossal butt with stink lines, and the wording reads, learn to fart. Yeah. It must have been adopted anyway, as Homer references being from the learn to fart state later in the episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's quite good. But, but it, it, uh, it annoys me, the whole learn to fart thing, because it's not even an anagram of fraternal love. No. No. It's just some words. It's annoying. So before you get too angry about the, uh, the <laughs> lack of a of an anagram, perhaps we should move on to that uh, never controversial subject: the Confederate flag. Yes, yes. Now, 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 what's also quite interesting about that flag that's in that episode? It's actually the flag of Arizona with a Confederate flag in the middle, uh, which is even more co- confusing because Arizona certainly wasn't a state during the 
during the Civil War. Oh. That that little I know. So Arizona's flag is is the whole sea and sun, but without yeah. without the yeah, Confederate without, flag. Without the con- Confederate flag in the middle. Right, okay. Yes, absolutely. Now, yeah. I love telling the story of the Confederate flags because it contains all the stupidity and incompetence you'd expect from a state that was founded to protect slavery. Now, I do, I do get really annoyed by the historical revisionism that you get today with people saying, oh, no, 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 it's, it's, it's not all about slavery. It's about hunting and the identity of the South. And it's like, no, no, no. If, if there's one thing I've learned from studying history, it's to avoid what's called the middle ground fallacy, which is where someone is saying something, someone else is saying something completely different, so it's immediately easy to think that the truth must lie somewhere in the middle. And in this case, it doesn't. The Confederacy was founded to protect slavery, and they went to war over being allowed to keep slaves, essentially. So, yeah. So a bunch of states in the south of the USA said that they would leave the Union if the anti-slavery candidate Abraham Lincoln won the presidential election of 1860. He did, and seven states followed through on that threat, following the pro-slavery confederacy, and civil war followed. The North eventually won, and the defeated confederacy was officially dissolved in 1865. So... It was sort of a country, it didn't have much international recognition, but it functioned as its own government with its own currency and stamps and that sort of thing. And during its short existence, the Confederacy struggled to sort out a half-decent flag. Their first effort consisted of three horizontal stripes, red, white, red, with a blue canton which contained a circle of stars, one for each state. And that flag was also known as the Stars and Bars. And can you think of any issue with that design? None at all, Tom. None yeah. at all. Yeah. So, so bearing in mind that flags are used for identification. So say you're a soldier on the battlefield. The battle's fully raging and you've been shot. It's loud, it's hazy, your best friend's foot has just gone whizzing past your face. You need to go towards your side. So do you go towards the red and white striped flag with stars on blue in the corner? Or the red and white striped flag with stars on blue in the corner? See, if they had actually made that pinstriped flag I was talking about earlier, it would have made things a little bit easier in that respect. It would. It would have been uh, about a century too early, but uh, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, so yeah, big design failed because, again, one of the fundamentals of flag design is that all flags should be different. Yes. And if you have uh, two designs that are almost identical and you go, "Uh, which, which one's which? The one that came, the one that came last is for bad design. Yes. So that's the first one. So as the war went on, other flags were used, and some became very popular. One flag was that of the Army of Northern Virginia, which was the red, white, and blue saltire, which we're all familiar with, but in square form. Okay. So so, so think of that Confederate flag that we all know about today. Imagine that, but as a square. Oh. Square flag. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yep, so that's what the Army of Northern Virginia were using. And the Confederate authorities took this square flag and put it in the top left corner of a white field to create the second flag of the Confederacy, which was known as the Stainless Banner. And do you know why it was white? Uh, to make surrender easier? No, no. It was white to represent the superiority of the white race. Remember, it's about heritage, not hate. I mean... 
expletive deleted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's one of those things where people tell you, oh, Confederacy, oh, no, 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 it wasn't about hate, it wasn't about hate. And then you read why the second flag of Confederacy was white. So, sorry, guys, you can't get away from it. Um, so, bearing in mind it's going to be used on the battlefield, you've already said it, can you see any issues with this design? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, uh, perhaps I should change my advantages to turns into a clan outfit a lot easier. Well, well, um, could, yeah. But, but yeah, it, it could easily, once again, be mixed up for one of the uh, universal battle signals, e.g. if you wave a white flag, you have surrendered. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And often flags aren't flying properly because there won't be enough wind. Usually the flag will be dropping because it's flown at a 45 degree angle. And when you do that, the canton is often obscured. So yeah, they would look like they were marching into battle with a white flag. Was there any particular reason they were wedded to the colours of red, white and blue in the first place? Because if they just made a black, purple and green flag in the first place, none of this would have been an issue? Well, yeah, I think they were, were, I think they were wedded to red, white and blue because at the end of the day they were still American. Mm. They just didn't like where the Union was going so they formed their own Union and called it the Confederacy. Right. But right. they were still American. Okay. Uh, so say, taking forward a bit of the national symbol. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they came up with a solution to the stainless banner and their solution to the problem was one that Cletus would have been proud of. So they took the stainless banner and stuck a big red stripe on the edge of it, on the edge of the fly, to create the blood-stained banner. So exactly the same, but a big red stripe going down one edge. Okay. I mean, it, it, it's the imagination behind that just, just beggars belief, really. Um, although it didn't really matter, as it came into use just a couple of months before the war ended. And of course, that makes examples of it extremely rare mm. and very, very collectible, if anyone can find any. I wonder if the war would have gone the other way if uh, they hadn't have accidentally surrendered in all those battles. <laughs> well, well, you never know. I mean, I mean, I don't really know enough about the American Civil War to say, to say how close it was. I think both sides were fairly equally matched in manpower and weaponry and, and whatever else. So anyway, although the Confederacy was consigned to history... The flags live on through the state flags of various former Confederate states. Some are subtle and some are pretty explicit. For example, Arkansas contains a diamond in the Confederate colours, almost as if the Confederate flag has been turned inside out. Tennessee has three stars in a ring, a design which some people say contains the logo of the car company Mitsubishi. So, yeah. go, so go and look that up if you want to, but it's very much Confederate colours. But it's also... You know, Stars and Stripes colours, it's also USA colours. And then you've got the flag of Mississippi. And that contains the battle flag in the canton. And it's... you can't get away from it. It's just there. It's just obviously a Confederate flag. And in the wake of what happened with Dylan Roof, it's very, very controversial. And I think the University of Mississippi doesn't fly it in a few other towns and cities of chosen not to, that sort of thing. And then you've got the flag of Georgia, which is just the stars and bars with the state seal in the ring of stars. So it's just the first Confederate flag with their seal. Okay. And again, if, if you, look at, you look at it and go, that's really, really obvious. <laughs> that, that, that is 100% Confederate. How are you getting away with that? 
Um, I assume they're getting away with it largely because most of us associate the Confederacy with the flag that is just the rectangular version of the Virginian Army battle mm. flag. Yeah. Uh, as popularised on the the roof of the General Lee in Dukes of Hazard. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. But, See, I, I wouldn't even have known what the Stars and Bars was until you told me just about 20 minutes ago. Mm, so. mm. Well, 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 people sometimes confuse the Stars and Bars with the battle flag mm. just because the term Stars and Bars is associated with the conf- Confederacy and people aren't familiar with what the Stars and Bars actually is. Yeah. But yeah, there, there's... There's a bit of a story with the Georgia flag, and it's and even though it's it's even though it's explicitly Confederate, it is a lot better than it used to be. I know that's not saying much, but um, so 1956, racial segregation is high up on the agenda. Georgia adopted a flag that was mostly the Confederate battle flag. Like 80% of that flag is the Confederate battle flag. In 2001, Georgia's governor Roy Barnes replaced the flag with one whose design was absolutely awful. It featured five other flags associated with with Georgia and the USA. In fact, it contributed to Barnes losing the governorship, and Georgia adopted the current Stars and Bars flag in 2003. So yeah, it just just amazes me that that the images of the Confederacy, this, this grand evil, are still there. And people still think of the Confederacy. I remember reading a little book of flags that my grandfather had. And it had various flags of the USA. And this book must have been written in the 70s, I I guess. And it included the Confederate battle flag. And my grandfather just made a little note. Just said, Southern USA. The way he saw it, it was just a flag of the South. And and, and it really saddens me that people can't get away from that. You know, the, the, the... the slogan they've got is heritage, not hate. And just, just have to ask them, well, what is your heritage? Your heritage is slavery. You went to war to defend slavery. It, it's a heritage of hate. That's what it is. Well, I mean, there are a few of those things going on in America at the moment. When I was out there uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was privileged to watch the Dallas Cowboys the nation's football team, as I was told, I should note I was staying in San Antonio, um, <laughs> beat the Washington Redskins. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I follow baseball and I still get embarrassed by the Cleveland Indians. I, like, whenever they play, if I'm trying to get someone into baseball, because um, c- 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 I, I get some American sports channels, I go, oh, look, baseball's on. Oh, it's a Cleveland Indians. Oh, what else is on? What else is on? <laughs> Let's isn't, skip past that. Isn't there the Atlanta Braves as well, or is that a different sport? Uh, yes, there is also the Atlanta the Atlanta Braves, but their logo is a tomahawk, and it's yes, it's appropriating um, Native American words and imagery, but it's not nearly as bad as Chief Wahoo, who is just a caricature of a Native American, and it's like if he was an animal, if he was a duck or something. Then it wouldn't matter, because 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 he he'd be an animal and animals aren't people. But it's like that's a person, and it's like would you do that? Well, 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 I can't remember who did it, but a a, a sportsman bought out a range of T-shirts, which said things like the um, uh, Washington Caucasians, and far more offensive, the uh, New York 
rabbis or something like that. And it's and it's like, yeah, yeah. So it's like if we could get away from all this imagery, <laughs> it would be it would be really really nice. It's yeah, can't keep using heritage as, the, as an excuse no. in this day and age. I don't think. No. Um, no. So I started this off by saying, uh, "Look how far we've come in two hundred years," and uh, <laughs> yeah, we're uh, yeah. In, 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 well in, done, the human race. Yeah, absolutely. In, in 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 some cases, we very very much haven't. Oh well, oh well. Should we talk about something a bit lighter? I think so. Because I want to talk about I want to talk a bit more about John Schwarzwelder and the conspiracies behind him, whether he whether he actually exists. Yes. Okay. Yep. That that's been a, a bread and butter throughout yeah, season, yeah. season one. So yeah, because because I've been looking into it into it a bit more, and I absolutely love the conspiracies, and you can see why people believe them because there's only really one relatively well known photo with the Simpsons writer John Schwartzwelder and it's and it's a group photo they had taken in the mid 90s and you've got Conan O'Brien with his shock of red hair in the middle and you've got everyone else around him and there is John Schwartzwelder and it just looks so much like they've just grabbed someone off the street or the janitor or whatever and you know stuck a shirt on him and a big fake moustache and go just 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 pose for the camera and, and we'll give you 10 bucks you know, because, you know, John Schwartzwelder doesn't exist and they needed someone because they knew they were having photos taken. So, so, so yeah, just, just get someone. And, and also John Schwartzwelder is, is described as a libertarian gun rights activist and yes. anti-environmentalist. Yes. But this is Hollywood liberal elite we're talking about. Can you imagine someone with those views surviving in Hollywood? I can't. So what, what, what I reckon they did is use this character, John Schwartzwelder, for any sort of negative uh, traits that they might have had. So, so if you had a Simpsons writer who, I don't know, believed that global warming didn't happen or something like that, um, or believed that we should nuke the whales, they said, right, OK, just put those jokes in, but just say that John Schwartzwelder wrote them. Sorted. Jobs are good. So yeah, I love the John Schwartzwelder conspiracies. I think they're fantastic. And of course, there's only one way that this could possibly be disproved. John Schwartzwelder, if you're out there, <laughs> come on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where you know where to find us. We yeah. are. Uh, you can send an eel to podcast at retrospectius.org. That doesn't have to be a literal eel. An email will do. Uh, or you can tweet at us. We are at underscore retrospecticus. And if anyone else would like to get in touch with us, uh, if you want to disagree with us on what we think about the Confederacy or anything like that, then go for it. If you're Australian or Welsh and you demand a full written apology, <laughs> um, it will largely be cut and paste from all the other apologies, but, you know, we, we, yeah. we'll still send one. Yes, yes. We're dear, just that magnanimous. Yeah. Dear Geraint, we apologise greatly for the offence we caused to the Welsh. <laughs> And as we stated before, normal service will resume in January with Bart Gets an F, which I think we're both very much looking forward to. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I might as well say what I'm going to be talking about then. I'm going to be talking about the country, territory, whatever you want to call it, called Transnistria. Ah. Well, I think it's only fair we give people time to read up on that one before we uh, go mm. into it. Two-footed. And uh, a good time will be had by all. <laughs> so, uh... Until then, 
Have a good one. And don't forget to listen to the Ben Baker quiz explosion. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, we will see you in the new year. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.